Hey guys, welcome to the You Make the Scene podcast. My name is Josh, and this is episode number 144. This week on the show, I've got an incredible conversation with Mikey Arthur of the band The Gloom in the Corner. They just dropped their second album called Trinity, uh, and Mikey and I had a really cool conversation. We talked a lot about uh, the band's lineup, kind of the formation and the history, uh, as well as, for those of you that aren't familiar with the band, they are a concept band. They write albums uh, in this fantasy universe that Mikey and the guys have created, and yeah, we talked about kind of the origins of that and where the story is coming from prior to this album and where this album's going to take it, and it's just a really, really cool conversation. Uh, If you're a fan of concept albums especially, you're going to really enjoy this because we do talk a lot about the story, um, the plot of the album, uh, the plot of the story, things like that. And we also talked about getting to work with some really dope artists as uh, guest vocalists and things like that. And at the end, we did a little uh, draft pick type setup uh, that... Mikey and I picked our top five um, horror movies. They're very much into the horror aesthetic, uh, and we were talking for this conversation just before Halloween, so we felt like that was appropriate. I really think you guys are going to dig this conversation, so let's just dive in. This is my conversation with Mikey Arthur of the gloom in the corner. Um, so to kick things off, uh, I do start with the same boring ass question every time, simply because it's the easy one. The introduction, (laughs) man, who are you? And, uh, what do you do? Hello, I'm Mikey. I do vocals and I'm the main songwriter and lyricist in the band, the gloom in the corner. Yeah. (laughs) Awesome. The clarification. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) It'll be in the title, but yeah, we'll, we'll clarify. Um, so yeah, let's let's go into a little bit of the history of the band and kind of the back on the project because at least here in the states, I think you guys are right on the cusp of like really starting to make a name for yourselves and and be more recognized. Um, you know, bragging on Sharp Tone, I think they've given you quite the lift over the last you know couple years of of being able to help promote. Um, but you know, let let's go through kind of this history, the formation and the concept for this, because you guys are very conceptual and cinematic to some degree with what this project is. Yeah, of course. Um, so I started this project in, I remember being, I want to say fe- January, February, 2016. Um, and it originally meant to, it was meant to be a EDM side project that had like orchestral and stuff like that elements in it. Yeah. Um, and I think I got a couple of songs written in and 
I wanted to turn, I turned around and was like, cause I, I just been kicked out of a previous band, um, previous heavy band. Cause I was a dick. Yeah. It happens. Right. Um, we all learn and grow. And, <laughs> and, uh, I got like, I got writing into like a couple of different songs and then I was still writing heavy music at the time. And I was like, Oh no, look, you know what? Um, I'm, I actually want to turn this into a heavy band. And so that's where I got, uh, Matt on board who was our guitarist and he like from there we kind of like formed out the lineup so it was me and him kind of like writing stuff and we were very heavily influenced by uh the widow ep by dark complex mm-hmm. and like a lot of the and like villains or youth forever who are who, everybody still calls them villains i think right um <laughs> and I, I a lot of sworn into like australia kind of only just hit the sworn in wave i think just before lovers the devil dropped so like mm-hmm. 20 like 2014 ish um and so like every band was kind of like doing that but to us we wanted to kind of do something a little bit different so we very much took like f- like efforts from dark complex as opposed to sworn in and i think that's what differed us a little bit at the time uh from like a lot of bands who are doing the very sworn ish sworn in ish kind of sound um down yeah. here and we also started incorporating a lot of like, I guess at that time, like very minutely uh, like cinematic and orchestral elements. Like we had a lot more softer songs um, and yeah, we kind of like went from there. We expanded the lineup out. We got our drummer, Nick. We got another old guitarist, Jaya, and another old bassist, Michael. Um, and I think, uh, I think it was May 25th, we released Oxy. Um unfortunately <laughs> anybody who knows me knows how much i hate fear me um <laughs> and so from there like we we went on we made fear me and it was a process and we got the album out on september 25th through sharp uh, not sharp tone through chug core um and we like yeah the whole time like writing this kind of story at that point as well i started penning out what would become trinity or the first few iterations of what would become trinity um, as well as like other little side stories, which turned into homecoming. Um, and then later on, I think turned into flesh and bones. Um, some of the original stuff from like what was going to be the original Trinity album actually ended up turning into flesh and bones. Um, yeah. And yeah, like we, we kind of grew from there. We had a couple of lineup changes over the years. Um, by the time we got to villain, like we kind of started taking ourselves, uh, pardon me, a lot more seriously. Like we had a, uh, a lineup change in the band we got a new we got another new guitarist in who replaced Jaya um and because we all had a meeting at the start of that year and we we're all like we want to take this band like a lot more seriously and see how far we can go with it not just be like a heavy local band right um and that was in 2018 I think and that was when we got a new guitarist in we started recording Flesh and Bones and Villain um and yeah, like we, we we changed like our image, sound like sound to a certain degree, um, started acting a lot more professional, and eventually that evolved into flesh and bones. Um, we had another kind of shift in lineup again, shift in image, shift in sound. That was when we kind of started finalizing uh Trinity for the most part. And mm-hmm. I think like the shift in sound, I guess you could kind of say, is like I kind of felt like over flesh and bones that we lost some of the cinematic side of things right um with the exception of dima and can't reach the sun and so like what 
we were meant to, we were meant to pretty much like start doing Trinity after Flesh and Bones. Ultimate Polyvia wasn't meant to be a thing. Um, and then we were like, oh, we kind of want some more time before doing Trinity to kind of like suss out our options, try out another producer, um, you know, build up some like build up numbers for streaming and stuff like that, so we can pitch to labels. Um, yeah. At that point as well, in 2018, before we dropped Flesh and Bone the Villain, we actually did have a meeting with Sean from Sharp Tone as well, because mm-hmm. he was interested in us and we were interested in Sharp Tone, but the stars didn't really kind of align at that point as well. Like Sharp Tone was still fairly new, especially right. when it came to taking on Australian acts. Um, and so, look, I, I had the meeting and he was like, I'll keep like kind of like a keep an eye on you guys and like see how you guys progress. I don't think you're quite there yet though. Yeah. Um, when it comes to, yeah, when it comes to like being signed and everything, which is absolutely fair, and it was a good move too. Yeah. Um, and then yeah, so we did Ultima. Um, or we we got Ultima recorded and done, and then COVID hit. <laughs> so we were meant and to play fucked everybody, <laughs> and fucked everybody. Like quite literally, I think we were meant to have we were meant to be playing download for the Australian like the Australian download in twenty twenty. Mm-hmm. And like a week out from download happening was when we got told it was getting the axe. Yeah. And I think it kind of fucked with us a little bit because we were meant to release violence like a few days after download. Um, and so we ended up pushing that back. And then we kind of <laughs> struggled for a little bit on like what to do with the last two tracks. Cause we were like, are we going to be able to get out of lockdown and do like a live video, a live video, like a live action video for Requiem right. or like, what's kind of the go here and i think it got to like june or july and we kind of realized that that wasn't going to be the go so we got like uh another visualizer organized for warfare and then started kind of panicking on what to do with requiem and that's where the animated side of things came out because by that point like at that point like four or five years in like a lot of people started recognizing the story and they started recognizing sherlock and jay who were the two main protagonists right. of this huge concept um and so we're like, and we get asked like all the time, like, oh, can you guys do a comic book? Like, we'd love to see a comic book. And I'm like, comic books are thousands of dollars to create. It's insane. <laughs> it's, like mu- it's, like, it's like a music video or a comic book. Which one do you fucking want? And then we realized, well, we can kind of just merge the two because we can't get together to do a live action video. And so we ended up doing the animated video for Requiem, um, yeah. which in turn, I guess when it came to the Trinity cycle was like, oh, well, if I want to do another animated video for Ronan, Let's get Mike back, but we'll give him a much big, much bigger budget this time to kind of work if work with, and we'll make it like actually animated. Yeah. Um, so a lot of people don't know this, but like Ronan was all done by one dude in the space of two months. Yeah, that's yeah. intense. That's yeah. intense. And yeah, I, it's funny you bring up the comic book thing because you know I I kind of when I was telling a couple friends, kind of the the concept of you guys and the way that you build this universe and, and have this story that is being told across multiple releases. Um, the, the best example I could give, and I'm not trying to blow smoke up your ass with this is a Coheed and Cambria feel. This is the Amori Wars just in a different light. And obviously it's not the same story, but like, it's that concept of like, here's a, a cohesive story being told through this music across multiple releases and it's not just a, a snapshot yeah i think i i never really got the coheed thing until i guess more recently like we i kind of got it 
a, like a little bit in the past and I knew the Coheed were a concept band, um, but I didn't know to the extent of what it was yeah. until I actually sat down with Tuck earlier this year. And he was like, oh yeah, like I'm a huge Coheed and Cambria fan. He's like, I'm not super into the lore, but they have this whole universe yeah. and you should go check it out. And I actually like kind of went into it. I still haven't listened to the music, but I have <laughs> like read all the rundowns and everything of like what the lore is. And it's super interesting. Yeah. Um, but my main influences when it came to the lore side of things were, or doing like a concept album, I guess, or a concept band was actually Defeater. Oh yeah. Um, and like just the way that they tell their story and the like the lyricism that Derek has in the way that he can kind of just intertwine everything together and yeah. do it pretty much almost seamlessly is incredible. Um, I think that was because I think I listened to Letters Home in 2012 or whenever that record came out. And I was like, I got listened to Bastards and I was like, oh, cool. I'm super stuck, super psyched for this record. Um, this song's like sick because I was going through a huge melodic hardcore phase. So right. I listened to Letters Home when it came out and I got to the end of it and I was like, oh, this is a concept record. And I just like deep dove into it. Yeah. And you get to the end of um, Abandonment. It's Abandonment, isn't it? The 2015 record. Yes. And it's like, oh, like this intertwines like with the stories in like um, White Oak Doors and like all that kind of sh like all that, all those records and everything like that. And it's like, wow, yeah. this is incredible. Like, yeah. I want to do something like this, but I want to make a complete batch hit. <laughs> <laughs> and you're doing it well, um, you know, and I try. <laughs> I think it's it's really cool because it's not something for whatever reason, like this, this age of concept artist hasn't fully taken off for whatever reason you know like i don't think people i think it's kind of a catch-22 i think people want the stories but they don't have the attention span to sit down and dig into the story so it's like okay like this is a cool thing but i'm not going to sit here and, and figure out like the the story which is why they want comic books because you can just flip through that and see the story um but no I, I think yeah we like over over the lockdown, I started running like a TikTok for our two main protagonists. Yeah. Um, just like seeing like just because I was fucking bored. <laughs> I had nothing else to do. And so I was like, oh look, he's like, the boys are talking about doing a TikTok for the band. And I'm like, look, if we're gonna do a TikTok for the band, like we should be doing it based around like the characters of the story. Right. Like we shouldn't be doing just a generic kind of like band TikTok to me at least like that because we are a concept band we should be right. honing in on that and they're like oh okay but we want to do it like professional and everything like that and all that kind of jazz and i'm like look it'd just be funnier if it wasn't like it, it would be so yeah. much more on brand and so much more on par for the characters if it just wasn't if it was all just like really shittily animated like stuff made in after effects and shit like right. that, that i can do um you know and there's not like there's not like a tone of seriousness to it and yeah. um it pretty much like happened overnight. And I like, I was going to say as well, like what's been really great about this release is like in every single comment section of the videos or in like all of our posts, everybody now pretty much like knows the law and is excited for what comes next. And I think part of that is also due to the TikTok that, or the TikToks that I did um, yeah. leading up to it, which like explain it both explain the story, but they also kind of go off and do their own like little shenanigans and stuff like that. Um, and it grew a pretty decently sized audience where like there's more people that know the protagonists, at least on TikTok, than they do the band, which I think is really cool. And I'm like, cool, that was pretty much what I was aiming to do 
um right. let's transfer this across pardon me into like into the band pretty much yeah yeah no and i think that is you know getting on the business side of things for a minute here i think tiktok is such an underrated tool in the music industry right now like everybody still looks at it as the oh that's that kid dancing app or whatever and it's like dude there's so much more there the marketing mm. capabilities out of that is insane mm. it's unfor- i think it's a bit of unfortunately a catch 22 where it is a very useful tool and it is a tool that should be used and utilized by bands what i'm not a fan of which i've seen a lot of recently especially when it comes to pop artists is like management and labels being like yeah. oh you must promote and like you must make content and you must force like or they're pretty yeah. much like forcing the artist to make content in order to promote themselves on tiktok and there was a really sad one that i saw the other day which was uh i can't remember who the artist was but it was a rapper and it was that was that like a concert of one of his shows and pretty much like they were like singing along a verse and then they stopped because they didn't know the rest of the song because they'd only know that one section from tiktok right and i was like we've gone to left of center here like we've yeah. we've gone too far into like people's uh attention spans like we've shortened it too much now because like imagine going to a concert and having everybody sing along your song but they only know that hook. Point, <laughs> but they only know that one hook and they don't yeah. know the rest of the verse like that i was just like brah like that sucks like <laughs> that would just yeah. be so demoralizing as an artist as well because it's like okay well like what's the point of putting out like or putting the effort into all of these songs if people are only going to remember like a 15 second snippet which yeah. to a certain degree a lot of people already kind of did already but it's just honed in a lot more now because of tiktok yeah yeah no i totally agree with you i think you know like you said it's the catch-22 like obviously if you can get one of the the songs or sounds to pop off and people are using it and doing a bunch of stitches with it or whatever like it's cool but to your point is that the only part of the song that they know because it was catchy you know like because it was trending um you know the the one that comes to mind right now is the pierce the veil king for the day um that trend is insanely popular insanely popular and it's like i mean i remember pierce the veil i went and saw them with i prevail and and everything I really enjoy them, but there's so many people that are doing that video that I'm just like, I bet you don't know them. I bet. Where were you <laughs> 10 years ago when the song dropped? You know, like this is bullshit. Yeah, exactly. Um, Yeah. And that's why I kind of like specifically steered away, I guess, from promoting necessarily the music when it came to the character right. side of stuff. I was like, I'd rather promote the story and get people in with like a little snor- with little story snippets and stuff like that. And make them go back and watch the other videos so that they can understand what what is going on to a certain degree within right. the story. Because I, I, that was also the other point is like I want them to tell it as chaotically and in person as possible, like in character. How would they be explaining this situation? Yeah. And how sidetracked can they get? Like how many tidbits can we fill <laughs> in with the story just to make it as chaotic as possible? But a lot of people have picked up on it. And like a lot of people have like gone back and like rewatched everything as well. Right. Um. So mission accomplished, (laughs) (laughs) which is, I mean, it's, it's the beauty of it, right? Like that's where you figure out who is truly invested in the band as well, because they want to know all those details and they want to see, you know, from um, the different character perspectives, like what, what was their point of view with this whole thing or what's going on with that? 
And I think, you know, pop music for a long fucking time has been lacking substance. Um, So like they can't get it on pop radio or anything. They have to find bands like you, Defeater, Coheed that are doing this massive project. And I think the beautiful thing is too, uh, and I don't think I'm incorrect saying this, especially for you guys, it's authentic and and real. Like you guys love the story that you're telling. It's not a bullshit money grab or like, oh, I think this will sell well, so let's do it this way. Yep, correct. I, I'm always a storyteller before it beca- comes like, sorry, storytelling before like digestibility for lack of a better term. Right, <laughs> yeah. Like I'd rather have a full fleshed out world than like, half ass it i guess or like not put enough thought into it i think like that's kind of where trinity kind of like picks up a lot as well because it has been in the works for such a long time like everything is fleshed out um to a very in-depth degree um like to the point of like how much how i'm writing songs from like certain character perspectives to like how deep the law like actually goes like how digestible it actually is um to a lot of different facets like that you know we i wanted to make sure that there was enough there to like properly carry the story and everything if, right. if we did want to turn around and do a comic book but also like you know to a certain degree it has to be digestible so it's a fine balance but yeah 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 um so let's dive into a little bit of the the story here double check the calendar real quick not that you're opposed to giving away too much uh your episode is actually going to go live uh, next Wednesday, so two days before the album actually drops, so we won't be like spoiling anything or anything like that. Oh, I can, I can talk. <laughs> I think by that point, I can talk. Yeah, about yeah. I feel like we're close <laughs> enough at that point. So it's close enough at that point that it's like, yeah. By the time people like actually catch on and listen to it, they're like, oh shit, like the album's out. So right. <laughs> well, that that's the twenty sixth, uh, or yeah, the twenty sixth, my time. For you guys, it'll already be the 27th. So you're really only you know, a few hours stuff, ahead. That's yeah, fine. for sure. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so um, let's kind of introduce people to what this Trinity portion of the story is. Um, we're coming in from a perspective from three uh, previously deceased characters within the story, correct? Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, so... <clears throat> Let's talk about a why those three and like why you felt this was the the next step in the chapter or in the story, um, but also like for you, how important is this perspective from these characters? Yeah, of course. Um, so the three characters that died, uh, I guess like the main character, um, who's Rachel in this record, like she's one of the most songs and everything, and I've kind of. Ever since like I started writing Trinity, I knew it was going to be about her perspective for the most part. Um, so it was important. I think for me, it was important to tell her side of the story. For people who know the story of Gloom, um, even though she hasn't had a song herself, but like before Pandora's Box and From Heaven, um, pardon me, they know that like she was... Uh, the damsel in distress that died at the start of Fear Me. Like she was the catalyst that pretty much pushed everything forward she's the one that haunts jay throughout like the entire arc pretty much of between fear me and ultimate pluvia um you know she was like 
if if Jay if it was yin and, yin and yang, like she was the light, Jay was kind of like they kept each other in balance. And so right. pretty much like Rachel's whole character is like, okay, well, what if like you know, the, the like the good guy always gets like the girl at the end of the day. What happens if we flip that and it's like everything goes wrong? Right. Um and her journey is very much based around of like she's always trying to do the right thing. Like she is the like quite literally up until Norhella Fury, she is like the last good character in the story. Every I like to I like to say that like every character in the Gloom universe to a certain degree is either in the gray area or they're just straight up bad guys. Like that's what villain was about too. Right. Like villain was directly about Sherlock, but like every character at the end of the day is a terrible person. <laughs> and it's like, if you look up to these people, seek therapy. Um, <laughs> but like, it's a great it's also, way to do it though. But yeah, I think that was like my main thing is like a lot of people or a lot of story. Cause I'm very heavily influenced by, um, a lot of different facets of pop culture. Like when it comes to the Fear Me arc and everything, it was very heavily inspired by like a lot of James Bond, a lot of Harry Potter, um, very notably Skullduggery Pleasant. Um, I'm still over and I saw like four books of his on <laughs> my shelf. Um, who like it Skullduggery Pleasant or Sherlock was my love letter to Skullduggery Pleasant. It's a Irish series, Irish fantasy series about a skeleton detective. Um so Sherlock was my love letter to Skullduggery Pleasant, pretty much. Um, yeah. But if he was a bad guy, a, a very chaotic, evil bad guy. Right. And so it was kind of one of those things, if you pull up like the the lawful good to chaotic, evil, nine panel board of like neutral good, yada, yada, yada. Right. Everybody's sitting in the bottom right corner of evil, <laughs> except for Rachel, who's sitting up in the lawful good. So her whole character was just like, like she always tries to do the right thing, but she's constantly let down by events or things that happen around her that she can't necessarily control, whether that be other characters or as said, like events and everything. And by the time she gets to Trinity, she's pretty broken at that stage. She's kind of like, she's a nervous wreck um, after everything that happens in between Femi and Ultima Pluvia. Just fairly fairly understandable if you die, right. um, <laughs> which is fair enough. Um, and her journey was yeah, as I said, her journey was important because she was the last good character before like moving on to what will happen in the next uh, over the course of the next arc. And so I think it was important to kind of tell her side of the story as well, um, because as I said, like she was the catalyst to everything that happens in the story, and I kind of did want to give her a proper story before moving right. forward with the story like like with the rest of the story um and give that perspective and I, I did that in a number of ways from like I, I was saying the other day that if you look at all of the songs which are Rachel's songs she does not swear in them she has a very delicate way of talking or like singing vocals and her phrasing and stuff like that until we get to Norhella Fury and <laughs> um yeah Rona, and so originally like the story as well was like when I started first penning this it was just meant to be about her and I knew that I wanted to do like a Rachel in hell kind of story, but I hadn't figured out like the way I wanted it to kind of go. Um, right. And then we did Homecoming and I was like, okay, well, this is Jay's brother, Ethan. Um, what's his story? Figured out like his whole backstory, how he's pretty much like a war criminal. Um, <laughs> again, bad guy, shoots yeah. a kid. Probably not a good dude. Um, <laughs> but 
you know, like he's he's kind of sitting in that like lawful, but like throughout homecoming, he's sitting in that lawful neutral stage of like, I believe I'm doing the right thing. But again, much like Rachel, I'm kind of being let down by events around me or people around me and et cetera, et cetera. By the time we get to the end of homecoming, he's pretty much gone like full lawful evil or bordering on that full lawful evil standpoint. Right. Um, and so with him being reintroduced into the record as the Ronin who like dons a suit of armor and everything, I pretty much went, how do I make the Doom Slayer like evil? <laughs> right. <laughs> So that's like, yeah, so that's where like Ronan came from. I was pretty much like, that was my, again, a lot of love letters and everything, but he was like my love letter to uh, the Doom Slayer and Wolf from Sekiro because mm -hmm. he's like very short worded and I wanted that um, samurai shinobi kind of influence on him as well. So that's why he has the chainsaw. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so he kind of got introduced to the story as well. And he was pretty much going to be like a chaperone for Rachel, kind of like Vigil and Dante. And at that point in the story as well, like that was where I kind of started fleshing out like, oh, okay, I'm going to do this thing where like they're going to they get full Dante's Inferno or Divine Comedy it and like have them traverse through hell, go through the deepest, darkest, darkest depths of hell um, and then come out the other side and return to the realm of the living. And yeah. I'm like, okay, I'll figure out some stuff to do there and we'll figure out a we'll figure out a story. This is back in like homecoming days, so 2017, right. 2018. And then with uh with Clara, who's the queen of misanthropy, she's like full chaotic evil. She's she's same spectrum as Sherlock. So she's already kind of gone through the I, I call it the Rachel stage, where like when she was in love and seeing Sherlock and everything in flesh and bones before she died she was kind of like they worked in tandem of being like this chaotic evil bonnie and clyde but where she she would kind of be the smarts and sherlock would kind of be like okay i'm point me and i'll shoot kind right. of person and as like that relationships relationship develops she kind of turns more and more like sherlock after kind of seeing like everything that like the organization that they work for the sec does how they handle things and they're just like fuck it like there's no point in preservation or anything like that like it's just going to be easier to just go full destruction mode right. so by the time she dies in flesh and bones um she like pretty much becomes like another she's pretty much like another version of sherlock for lack of a better term or she's on his level sorry per se of yeah. chaotic evil so we kind of have the light and you know the one trying to do everything good you have this dude who's chaperoning them who's somewhere in the middle but self-righteously believes that what he is doing whether it be good or bad is for the betterment of not just himself but trying to fix his brother and then we just have full chaos in the corner who's <laughs> just like i'm just gonna fuck everything up like i'm just gonna constantly be going bonkers the murder be hobo yeah be be british um <laughs> so yeah so trinity pretty much like follows their story and by that point as well with flesh and bones and by the time we wanted to do ultima pluvia and we were kind of finalizing like the last little tidbits of what i wanted to do i was like well fuck what are we gonna do for ultima pluvia like we pretty much finished like that whole story of the arc with Sherlock and Flesh and Bones, like at this point, Jay and Sherlock are just kind of sitting there going like, okay, well, Sherlock can't control Jay because of the people who don't know Sherlock is basically like this demonic, super powerful demonic demon entity, which is currently 
are playing host to our other main character, Jay. But at the end of Flesh and Bones, like he gets a symbol put on him and he's pretty much like locked out. So the two of them are sharing the same headspace, but not like he can't control him or anything like that. Right. It's pretty much like having a chaotic parrot on your shoulder. <laughs> um, <laughs> he's just constantly talking. Um, so I was like, well, what the fuck? Like, like what the fuck am I going to do? And I'm like, well, I really only have one choice left here and that's to kill off Jay and Sherlock. Like, there's not a lot of room here for me to, like, really make much of a story. And I realized that that would pretty much be the awesome catch-22 for Trinity in the timeline. So by the time that, like, they're doing their journey and they're, like, coming out of the journey or, like, starting their journey is right when Jay and Sherlock die. And, like, time works differently and stuff like that in this hell dimension that we have. So by the time that they actually come out of hell, it's actually, like, 10 years after Jay and Sherlock have died. So, and they realize that everything that they were fighting to come back for is long gone. Like the sect, right. the organization they worked for is like disbanded and dismantled because at the end of Ultima Pluvia, um, Jay goes full whistleblower and just like leaks all the documents in the secret supernatural community and stuff like that to the public eye. Um, and they're also dead. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. they're like, well, we've quite literally come back to nothing. Like, what the fuck was the point of this journey and so that's where rachel kind of tilts and she hunts down the person that like did kill them who was the person discussed in new order which is a lot or people discussed in new water which was elias de graver and atticus ancy who pretty much like taken over like the roles of like rulers of the realm is what i like to yeah. call them um in the story and so that's kind of where everything goes like batshit um, sorry, I forgot to say as well, like all, all three characters are kind of guided by this ominous shadowy figure dude in the hood uh, right. called the narrator, who's kind of like, if you do this and you can return to the people that you love. And they're like, okay, we'll do this. Um, <laughs> and so, yeah. And so that's pretty much where we're at with the story. And it just, the whole end of the record is like, how much can I fuck up every single realm? Like how, like how many red buttons can I press at the one time? <laughs> right just to just <laughs> just to see where we can go with the next record and set the scene for the next record which you know isn't a bad thing because you know absolute worst case scenario <clears throat> excuse me um absolute worst case scenario people go what the fuck did you do and you can go hey, hey red that's button. the fun of yeah that's the fun of doomsday and here we go with this next story mm-hmm. um you know there's there's so many options um and i love the way that you tell it I'm a big D&D fan myself. So, it, you know, it, it's a D&D campaign that you're describing and it's this. Oh, yeah, um, exactly. That was what I based it around as well. I was like, like after playing D&D myself, a heap of, like over lockdown, I yeah. was like, you know, what? this is pretty much just like a bastardized D&D campaign. Yeah, it really is. <laughs> but it's but it's awesome and it fits so well. Um, so now that we've brought people up to speed on the story, let's talk about the guest vocals that you guys got for this or the guest work that you had uh, because you got some incredible names and they really add to the story. Um, You guys were super intentional with picking people and not just, you know, Oh, who wants to jump on? Like everybody serves a purpose for this. So yeah, uh, I'll probably forget one or two of them, but let's let's go down the list here. That's we've okay, got, I forget a few of them all the time. <laughs> <laughs> we've we've got uh, Monique on um, on track two, 
Ryu from uh, Crystal Lake on a couple tracks or just track three? Just track uh, three. Just track, yeah, just track three. Um, and then you go into uh, Monica on track four from The Last Martyr, Taylor from Left to Suffer on five. I'm just going to stop saying what number because these are all going in order. Uh, <laughs> you have your sister on a track. You've got um, Lauren from uh, Red Handed Denial, uh, Crystal, Elijah, and is somebody else on that track? Uh, Rachel Jefferson. And Rachel, yes, sorry. Yep. Uh, it cuts off on the, the promo that I've got. Uh, <laughs> and then um, and then you've got Ryan from Fit for a King and Joe from uh, Fit for an Autopsy. Mm-hmm. Like, regardless of anyone's knowledge of the industry or the scene, that's a fucking lineup, man. Like the the people <laughs> you you swung for the fucking fences on this. What was it like, you know, getting those people to say yes to the project that is so passionate for you? Um, it was incredible. So for the most part, for like a lot of the bigger names, I'd say, um, like Kirby and Joe, Joe at the time, um, and Lauren and Rio, um, we got Tuck our manager to kind of middleman it mm-hmm. um, and be like, Hey, like, can you pitch us to these vocalists? Like you got, you know, them better right. than like, we know them. We, you have a better chance of getting them. And so that's effectively what he did. Um, and yeah, but everybody else on that list, like Monique, Monica, um, my sister, <laughs> yeah. Wit, Wit, Crystal, like we were all like friends with them beforehand. Actually, no, Crystal yeah. was the only one that I think we weren't friends with. And we went through featured X for, um, and then we like we became friends with her because she actually came down to Melbourne because she has family that lives down here or something apparently. Right. So we actually I, I actually got to meet her and everything. Now we're friends. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, like everybody on that list, like we're we're friends with originally before, um, we like before like we hit them up, and I knew that we wanted to get like a lot of them. Like I knew that we wanted to get beforehand as well. But as you said, like I'm very picky with like the voicings and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um. But the good thing was, was that like, I pretty much like had the lyrics and everything solidified. And then when I gave them the parts, I was like, do whatever you want. Right. Um, make the part your own. The only thing that needs to stay the same really is the lyrics. Um, and you can like melody, stuff like that. Like I've done a scratch track of the way that like, I kind of think it should go roughly, right. but right. you don't have to stick to that. You can do whatever you want. Um, and so, yeah, no, but it was awesome. Like, and like with, you can hear it on the record. Like they put their all into all of those guest vocal spots. Yeah. Um, and so it was really cool getting like, getting all those guest vocal spots back and going like, this is fucking sick. This is so sick. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, it was very cool. I do yeah. have a funny story about Joe's one, which I, I told a few times, but it's a fucking <laughs> awesome story. So we, we toured with Fit for an Autopsy in July when they came down. Mm-hmm. And so we got to meet Joe and everything and the whole band lovely dudes joe was quite literally i think the nicest dude that i've ever toured with (laughs) um and so we were talking at at the end of the first date and i was like oh yeah we should play we should play hail to the king and get you up for your guest spot and he kind of like face faced he's like what are you talking about (laughs) and i'm like you did a guest vocal spot for us like not too long ago like you did it in january and he's like oh, that was you guys that I did the guest vocal spot for. And I'm like, what do you mean? And he's like, when Tuck sent it to me, he just sent my part, which is only fair because it's like the last two minutes of an eight-minute song. Right. Um, 
<laughs> he sent me the lyrics. He sent me the part, but he didn't tell me what the band was. <laughs> and so I'm like, uh... oh. That's cool, I guess. He's like, no, but that's sick because now like, we're all friends on tour and it's all super wholesome and we're touring together. It's so cool. <laughs> well, like, yeah, cool. We won't be doing the park, but I was just a joke. But like, that, that's super cool. He's like, nah, we'll do, it in the, we'll do it again in the future. Like, We'll, yeah. we'll, we'll tee up another date sometime. We'll yeah. do it. That'd be super that, cool. That is, it's dope too, like for a couple reasons. Like you said, A, of course he only got sent the lyrics and his part just, hey, do this thing and, and get it back to me. But at the same time, like, that realization moment that you just described of like, oh fuck, like that, we're all here now. Okay, cool. Like the puzzle's yep. complete. Um, yeah, there. Uh, Fit for an autopsy is is incredible. I had Pat on the show a, a few months back, and like you said, they're just the fucking nicest dudes, man. Yeah, I had a, I had a, just a, just just a cow like just to encapsulate it as well. I had another really sweet moment on that tour where um the the dude that does like the voice of the narrator on the record his name's nathan or we call him dookie um because we have a few friends called nathan and right. um duke is his last name so we all call him dookie to yeah. differentiate yeah. <laughs> just australian <laughs> things um but okay. like his favorite vocalist of all time is joe like joe is like his his yeah. number one so like he came to he came to both shows to watch fit and everything like that and was very sweet and very wholesome and joe came up to the merch desk when i was standing there and dookie was like standing there talking to me and stuff like that and i was like oh joe you know that's you know that song that you guest vocaled on like this is the dude that does all the voice acting work and stuff like that before and he does like all the really like evil voicing and stuff like that and joe turned around to him and was like oh dude your voice is really fucking cool like i like you got a really powerful voice on you and stuff like that and my mates just kind of standing there like he's <laughs> six foot four and built like a brick shit house and he's going like oh thanks man oh thanks man that's so nice of you to say he's just like completely starstruck and i'm just sitting there I'm like yeah hey, i'm gonna walk away now and watch this unfold <laughs> he came up to me into... he's like i you know, fucking hate you yeah turned him into a 10 year old just yeah uh, uh what <laughs> can't believe you just did that to me <laughs> i'm like yeah but did he say nice things he's like yeah it was really sweet it was really wholesome and it definitely made my week so thank you yeah. <laughs> yeah that's that's the beauty of the the industry as a whole but like the the metal scene whatever and that's the thing you guys don't fit in a fucking genre anyway but like there <laughs> everyone assumes yeah. everyone that's not in in these genres or these scenes like assumes oh they're all assholes you know they write yelly music and and whatever and it's like well yeah everybody's assholes but that's not the point when we get together like it is always the most wholesome everybody fucking cares about each other like there's just so much camaraderie within that that scene that from an outsider perspective, they would just assume that, nah, fuck you, you're not in my band, I don't give a shit. Yeah, exactly. But no, I, like for the Fit guys, like they're all really wholesome, really nice dudes. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Shout out Fit. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, the other, I, like going back to the guest vocal thing as well, like I think what really was cool as well throughout that record, like I just mentioned that Dookie does like all the voice acting, stuff like that. Um, but like Monique as well, who is on Obliteration Imminent, she does all the voice acting on the record for Rachel. Monica, <clears throat> pardon me. Monica does like all the voice acting and everything for um, Clara. We have another friend as well who runs a podcast down here, Burjo, who did all the voice acting and everything for um, for the Ronin. And he was actually in the videos as well. Um, nice. We got him yeah. to come in and play Ethan and stuff like that. Um, so yeah, like it was all like a big 
gigantic team effort. I'd say the voice acting actually was probably a little bit more difficult to organize than um, like all the guest vocal spots. Yeah. Yeah. And I wouldn't disagree with that. I mean, you know, it's, it's something people that aren't voice actors don't understand what goes into voice acting. Like I was just watching a podcast with, um, Oh, I forget her name. Chrissy is her first name. I want to say the girl from even Stevens back in the day, her and one of the guys, the older brother from boy meets world have a podcast. That's about voice acting because they've both done it. And like, they were going down this person's resume and it's like you people don't understand like you've heard that voice a million times and you just don't realize that's who it was yeah that's like going through the voice acting list for like steve blum or john dimaggio like you right the list of people that they've done and it's like whoa yeah Yeah. it's bender and marcus phoenix from gears of war that's fucking cool (laughs) it's always that like that far stretched of a dichotomy too like it is Mm -hmm. polar opposite ends because these people are way more talented than they get credit for um so i guess my point to that was you know a plus for getting the right people to voice it too because that i mean that can make or break a character right like yeah, we've we've seen it in animated history anyway, where you know somebody drops off a project and they have to change voices or something, and it's like, okay, cool, that's not the same guy. Like I, I oh, know I had who that. used to do that. Oh, I had that recently with um, fuck, what was the game? Uh Evil Within. I had that mm-hmm. recently. They swapped voice actors for uh Sebastian, who's the main character. Yeah. And I remember playing because I before Evil Dead, before Evil Dead, before um the Evil Within two dropped, I went back through and replayed Evil Within one, and yeah. I was like, oh yeah, cool. Like so, I know Sebastian's voice and all that kind of shit, and he has like this kind of like gruff, kind of Steve Blumish kind of voice, um, which really suited the character too, right? Um, and <laughs> you load up Evil Within two, and it's just a completely different voice actor he's got like a he's got like a higher register like he's still gruff but it's like a completely like higher register and i'm sitting there like the fuck is this <laughs> it took me like five to six hours of playing the game for me to like like for, like, for it to, for me to like digest right i'm just hearing this dude speak and i'm like this doesn't sound right this is something about this is fucked <laughs> yeah it's it's the worst. And I mean, you know, obviously you have it on regular TV shows or movies where like live action stuff where an actor doesn't come back and you have to switch it. And it's like, but it, I think the, the big difference is there, there, there's a true face to that voice, you know? So it's easy yep. to say, okay, cool. They replaced the actor. Like I can make peace with that. It sucks, whatever. But when it's a voice actor, it's like, but, but you drew him the same way. So he should have the same voice. Why, why is this not right? Why, you know? why is this not like <laughs> clicking? Yeah. yeah. I mean, like the more, I mean, Bayonet, like I've seen all the Bayonetta stuff that went down with Jennifer Hale and yeah. um, the other chick's name. I can't remember her name. Yeah. I don't um, know her name off the top of my head. And, but like the biggest one that I saw recently was like the stuff with the Futurama reboot with John DiMaggio and mm-hmm. how like he kicked up arms because he wasn't being paid enough or something along those lines. And yeah. I'm like, you can't replace John DiMaggio as Bender. Like no. he is like he is Bender. Like right. it's like turning around and replacing Dan Constantino as Homer Simpson. Like you can't replace Bender. Like you have like they have to figure out a way to get him back, and they did. 
I think. Yeah, um, yeah I, but I think, I think I, the cool I thing it. about him, I think the cool thing about that situation though as well was he was like, it's not just me that's being underpaid, it's everybody that's right. being underpaid. So unless you like raise the paychecks for everybody to actually do this, we're not like I'm not going to do it. And yeah. I think that's and I think that ended up what's happening. So I think everybody got a pay rise from it. But yeah, yeah, and I, I, think, I don't know. <laughs> right, I don't work at Fox. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I want to work at Fox, to be perfectly honest, but no, I think the, the beauty of that it translates over to the music industry as well, that it's one of those cases where, um, you know, a rising tide lifts all ships. Like if, yep. if we start speaking out about the community as a whole, or, you know, I'll, I'll dog on it, the live nation, you know, ticket fees or whatever. Like if, if we all start saying this isn't right, like, maybe it can be become better for everyone and not just the small groups. Yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah. A hundred percent where you're coming from. And I guess to a certain degree, it's also like when like a band replaces a vocalist, like it's, it's hard to hear that shift as well. Right. Right. Yeah. Especially, you know, if they've had a big catalog, you know, like, Oh um, yeah. Yeah. You know, the <laughs> slaves, they're not called slaves anymore. Rain city drive is the one that comes Keep to mind. For that. Change the name. Yeah. Yeah. Good name change. Good name yeah, change. Sure. <laughs> um, but you know, like Johnny has such an iconic voice. Yep. And they had whatever it was, three or four albums under their belt by that point. And then they swap and it's like, okay, but now I don't want to hear you sing any of Johnny's songs. I want you only to do your new stuff because I can't handle that that voice. Yeah. That exactly. vocal change. So um I think that's virtually everything i've got i think this is going to be really cool for people to to hear before the album or along with the album maybe um and kind of get that that perspective um so one thing i wanted to do i i hit you up about this uh little like horror movie mm -hmm. draft pick thing um yep. that's a tiktok trend now uh so uh basically <laughs> we'll we'll do the the back and forth like round robin uh draft pick but for anyone listening or when i clip this and put it on tiktok uh what we're going to do are uh basically our favorite or top horror movies uh in a draft style so i'm gonna let you take the the first round who's your okay. number one overall draft pick here okay we're going from number one first okay uh, if you uh, want to go it's... if you want to go five to one i'm okay with that too well, we can go from number one. We can go from, okay. we'll go from number one. Um, okay. So number one, for anybody that knows me, is Evil Dead 2. <laughs> Hands down. And the only Solid. reason why Army of Darkness also isn't in this list is because I don't classify it as a horror film. Um, I don't think yeah. anybody who has watched Army of Darkness classifies it as a horror film. No. Um, but Evil Dead 2, I would definitely say, is my number one. Yeah. Um you know, like it's it's what we named, or it's what I named Hail to the King after. Everyone's like, Oh, you named it after Revenge Sevenfold. And I'm like, Well, yes, but no. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I love Avenge Sevenfold, but I named it after Evil Dead and Army of Darkness. Um Which and I Williams. think is what they if I'm not mistaken, I think that's what M Shadows was doing as well. <laughs> Sick, great minds think alike. <laughs> yeah. Um <laughs> yeah. but yes, no, so it was yeah, it was named after like Hail to the King was named after evil dead um or the evil dead series so yeah. yeah i mean for me um it was probably in that uh time of my life when i was kind of just getting into horror films and stuff like that um 
you know, and like a lot of people, I guess, of my age were going towards stuff like a lot of elevated horror, as Scream 5 likes to say. Yeah. Um, and I wanted to go back to the classics. And so, uh, as did my dad, because he, like, he loves Evil Dead 2 and Army of Darkness as well. They're not his top, but like for me, it's my top. Um, yeah. So he, he doesn't matter. It's fine. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, no, like for me, it's it's the cinematography, it's the story, it's the acting. Like it's just like for me, it's the perfect encapsulation of kind of like somewhere between cheesy horror, but like actual horror as well. Right. And I think Sam Raimi, like as a director and cinematographer, is fucking incredible. And some of those scenes are just so iconic as well. Um, like the uh swallow your soul swallow your soul swallow this like (laughs) and like the like the hand scene as well is just like it's so sick and like the whole room like everything coming alive and stuff like that like it's just very cool i I said it has that like that element of horror in it but it doesn't take itself like too super seriously right um so yeah that's that's my number one solid i mean that's it's a super solid choice uh my number one is just for i think part of it is the nostalgia it's one of the first like horror movies i remember like actually watching um of my own free will anyway uh <laughs> and i'm gonna go with day of the dead uh i think okay yeah i think george a romero did an amazing job with that i think again i'm you know 37 that movie came out the year i was born but it's one of the first ones i remember like not quote unquote, being forced to watch just because it was what's on family TV or whatever. Um, and kind of the same as you, like, or like your justification for for um, Evil Dead 2, like, to me, it's such a perfect encapsulation, at least at that time, of what a horror movie was trying to be. Um, yep. And he did, I think he did Zombies Right, uh, you know, I I am legend. I'm going to knock it. It's not in my top five anyway, but like the, I am legend bullshit of like, Oh, it's a virus and they get super strong and fast. And like, no, fuck you. That's not a zombie anymore. Like, <laughs> that's a mutant <laughs> and fuck off. Yeah. Fuck running zombies. Run- yeah. Fuck that's running bullshit. zombies. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, I'm so sick of it, dude. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So but number yeah, two for right. you. Number two. Um, Going back down to the classics is A Nightmare on Elm Street, the original one, like the Robert England one. Yep. Um, yep. I was saying this the other day to somebody like, um, for me, in a time where slasher films were really picking up, like Halloween and Friday mm-hmm. the 13th, um, and fuck, uh, what was the other one that Spencer from Ars 9 did a song about? Uh, uh, the Santa Claus one, Silent yeah. Night. Silent yeah. Night. There you go. Yep. I, I was like, <laughs> I, it's a <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> um, but in a time of like all of those films kind of coming through to me, um, A Nightmare on Elm Street had something that those films didn't. And I hear like I haven't seen Hellraiser, but a lot of people kind of like make that comparison of like the villain actually being a villain. Yeah. And you know, like for me, like I I, I love Michael Myers. Um and to be fair, I haven't really gotten that far into Friday the 13th and et cetera, because I'm like, it's just another slasher film. Right. Like to me, like I've seen so many of its different caliber over the course of me watching horror. That's like, I kind of can't be fucked watching Friday the 13th. Right. Because I'm like, <laughs> I know, I know the story. I know what it's about. Um, I know the story from the first one and I know the stories going forward. Um, 
and I've seen Halloween. So I don't really see the point in watching Friday the 13th. But to me, A Nightmare on Elm Street has that villain that like people can actually kind of like grab onto. Kind of like, kind of like when I made like Sherlock, like to me, like there needs to be like a character that's not just like the epitome of evil. Right. For lack of a better term. Like Freddie is like, he actually has a character behind him. He's quirky. He's funny. He's quotable. Um, and that's like, that's why A Nightmare on Elm Street is kind of up there. Again, it was one of the first films I actually watched of my own volition. That was a horror film. Yeah. Um, and I'll saying this as well. If anybody is allowed to come back from the dead for a sequel, it's probably <laughs> Freddie because he lives in that supernatural realm. It actually makes sense. There's only so many times you can shoot, set on fire, throw out a window Michael Myers before he eventually has to kick the bucket. Like, come on, dude. <laughs> right. Um, so yeah. I've not seen the new one yet, so I don't know what happens Neither there. But I'm, I'm in the same boat as you. Like, it's why wasn't that done after the third movie at most like <laughs> so i saw a really interesting theory which really makes because i haven't seen halloween kills either right but i saw this really interesting theory about the new halloween trilogy so what they reckon has happened is old mate who's directed and written the new three has pretty much done a mirror of what they did with the original halloween movies Right. And that was like the first one is like it is full Michael Myers like going around murking people, but it's set in 2018. And then Halloween 2 is like less of Michael Myers. Um, and it was critically received in the same kind of way that Halloween Kills was. People like didn't like it, etc., compared to the first one. It was getting like that kind of tandem. And then the third one, like the third, like the third original halloween doesn't have michael myers in it at all which is reflective of like how little screen time michael myers actually has in the new one apparently um and they completely flipped the story and changed the story to a degree that people fucking hated it um and that's what they reckon he's done with this one too knowing what was going to happen which i think is really clever but it pretty much like got solidified when you look at the title screens for the original three as well and he pretty much copies them to the exact same degree yeah which i think is cool like it's his own way of doing like that original trilogy and he probably knew like what the reception was going to be of this trilogy too which i think is really funny um and if that is the case and he did purposely do that then kudos to him because that's a bold move to make (laughs) yeah yeah for sure but i think it also goes into like obviously He's not trying ruining to ruining the franchise. Yeah, he's not. <laughs> yes, for sure. But like I was going to say, like the the psychology of the horror fan, like to make those those types of decisions to say like, OK, I, I know kind of what they think or how their their thought process works. I'm going to mm-hmm. do this thing and try to fuck with it for better or for worse. Uh, you know, it's not high on my <laughs> list to to go watch. You know, I'm not not ended this podcast with you and just going and go to watch it. So um, I think uh, round two for me, again, nostalgia kicked in, uh, but I'm going to go with Chucky, the first Chucky. Yeah. Um, Good choice. Yeah. (laughs) It's just such a fun fucking movie. There's nothing that I can say bad about the original Chucky. I don't think anybody has anything bad to say about the original Chucky. Um, Chucky is awesome. Like he's not in my top five, but like, 
I do love Chucky. And again, going down the same lines of like a villain actually having a character. Yeah. Like Chucky is definitely up there as well. Yeah, for sure. Uh, third round for you. Well, it was funny that we were talking about the psychology of horror fans and how <laughs> they react and everything like that. Uh, my number three is Cabin in the Woods. Ooh. Ooh. Didn't even cross my mind, but that is yeah. such a good film. It is such a good film. I rewatched it recently and it it holds up like it's so good and for people who don't know the whole thing is pretty much like a meta horror comedy on the way that horror fans and like the audience as a whole perceive horror as a genre um and they take the piss out of it it is awesome um yeah but yeah i love that film like i i don't really want to say too much about it in case people haven't seen it um i mean it's, it's been out for a while if you okay. haven't seen it by now fuck off <laughs> yeah i know <laughs> but no it's it's awesome i think it's it, it's such an underrated film as well that like goes under a lot of people's radar but if you like meta comedy like scream um yeah. and you like taking the piss out of one of your favorite genres then watch cabin in the woods it's fucking awesome yeah um and i i think that's the thing like to me i played with the idea of putting scream on my list but it's to me it's just comedy enough that i'm like uh, I, I can't justify it as the the top five horror movies for me. That's fair. That's fair. Yeah. So uh, I think I'm going to go with um, for my third round, because you stole uh, Nightmare on Elm Street from me. I didn't think you'd <laughs> take it that high. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to go with uh, the original It, because okay. as a child, that fucked me up. Um, <laughs> I was Bad. way too, I was way too young to watch it the first time I watched it and it just, you know, it stuck with me. The, the remakes. Okay. I think they, they had the right idea with everything, but I think it was, I think I didn't part one. Yes. Part two was, yeah. was trash. I'll, I'll totally give you that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but I, I think to me, it was one of those, and I'm a, a big stickler about this anyway, like quit trying to capitalize on everybody's nostalgia. Don't remake something just to remake something. Like mm -hmm. we, we don't need that, you know, like come <laughs> out with a semi-original idea at least and do that. Yeah, exactly. I mean, look at films like Hereditary, for example. Mm -hmm. um, you know, like you, there's still so much about horror that you can kind of delve into and do. Like you, <laughs> stop trying to remake things, please. Yeah, it, it's just, I don't know. Like, I get I get it, you know, it's the easy way out and it's yeah got its track record and whatever. But man, just fuck off with that. Uh, so, fourth no, I mean, before, on that yeah. On that, before I do my number four, like, I on the topic of remakes, I saw, have you seen a film called Train to Busan? No, but I'm, I'm actually looking at a different list for just to see where we rank and that is on their list. Dude, fucking incredible. Fucking incredible zombie film. Like, okay. uh, it's, it's, it is running zombies. It is running zombies, but like, it, it works. It's, it, that, that film is probably the only running zombie film that I will look at and go, fair enough. Right. Um, because I haven't seen 28 Days Later. But, <laughs> <laughs> um, <clears throat> yeah, no, Train to Be Sand is fucking insane. It's such a good film. Like, it does, del it kind of like Evil Dead. Where it's like it doesn't take itself like too super seriously, right? Um, but and it, like it has comedy elements in it, but it is also just a really fucking good zombie film. 
Um, it also almost made me cry, which I've never had happen in a horror film. Okay. Um, and not for the reasons that you would think, but um, yeah, incredible film. But on the topic of remakes, apparently Paramount or Universal is going to try and remake it in an American studio. <laughs> And I'm like, dude. See, don't. that's another thing that I, I fucking hate. Like, even being an American, we don't have to Americanize everything. Damn it! Like, like God damn it! <laughs> yeah, there's um, a movie series. It's a trilogy. I think it's. I'm pretty positive it's a book as well. The girl with the dragon tattoo. Yep. Yep. I've seen the original movies, and they're phenomenal. And like, fucking read the subtitles because the american version is dog shit compared to it. yeah i've heard yeah dog shit man it's so bad um yeah so sorry we we super got confused there <laughs> off on a tangent number four for you <laughs> well it's funny that you mentioned scream before because that's my number four <laughs> okay i can respect so, it yeah no scream yeah scream is my number four um i definitely understand why it's like a lot of people's number ones um, yeah. it's my girlfriend's number one. She has Billy Loomis tattooed on her. Um, but <laughs> or Skeet Ulrich. Um yeah. so, but yeah, no, I like I love Scream. Like I love stuff which I mean, as you probably have gathered from the list so far, doesn't take itself like super seriously. Yeah. Um, you know, but also has like a certain charm to it. And I think like the backstory for Scream as well is also really funny. I'm pretty sure it is Wes Craven who did Nightmare on Elm Street. Um, And, you know, like, by that point in the 90s, like, all the slasher films had been done to death. Like, all the whodunit stuff had been done to death as well. Like, you had, like, I Know What You Did Last Summer and a whole heap of other movies, and he was kind of like, this genre has been done to death and been put down the drain by, like, people who just want to, like, copy certain tropes and everything like that. and so that's what he did with Scream. He intentionally made Scream with the purpose of it being pretty much like a passion project, being like, I don't expect this film to do well. It's another like slasher whodunit film, but I'm taking the piss out of it, much like what Cabin in the Woods did as well. Right. Um, and he's like, you know, like I'm going to use all these different horror tropes and I'm going to use like, you know, like the, the classic tropes that it always ends up being um, and take the piss out of it, but do it in a way that's very like self-referential you know, where they're constantly talking about it while it's happening. And yeah. it just so happened to blow up and become one of the biggest horror franchises of all time, um, which I think is really cool. It's just, it's just a really cool, like, little tidbit that's, like, they intentionally made the film to not blow up, and it blew up. Right. <laughs> and so, yeah, that's why like, that's why Scream is my number four, I think. Like, my girlfriend was the one that introduced me to it as well. So, shout out, Chelsea. Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> but, um. Yeah, no, I love that film. Like, I loved everything about Scream. I loved what they were going for. I think they nailed it on the head. And when it comes to a lot of those kinds of, like, meta horror comedies that, like, try to poke fun at horror doing it, Mm -hmm. um, the only two that come to mind to me that, like, have actually nailed it is Cabin in the Woods and Scream. Yeah. Yeah. Also, Ghostface is just, like, it's just a sick idea in general. Like, it's pretty much, like, it takes that horror trope of, like, oh, you can't kill Ghostface but does right. it in such a clever way that's like, well, anybody can take up the ghost face mantle now. Um, you can't ever really kill the character. Yeah. Which is a really smart way of doing it, I think, compared to like, you know, like that trope that had been t- done to death with Halloween and um, 
Freddie, uh, Freddie with uh, a Friday the 13th and like, mm-hmm. you know, to a certain extent, Nightmare on Elm Street too. Yeah. Um, so yeah, yeah, that's my number four. Totally, totally agree with that. Um, the, the concept, you know, and, um, it kind of makes me think about, like you said there at the end, like anybody can pick up the, that mantle. Uh, it reminds me of Jigsaw from Saw. Like exactly. technically anybody could, could become Jigsaw and, and continue that on. Um, yeah. but Saul's not on my list. Uh, I'm <laughs> actually, <laughs> I'm actually, uh, going to take in the fourth round. I feel like, uh, that it's a pretty good value for, or, you know, that it lasted as long as it did in this, uh, mm-hmm. this group. Um, but I am going to take, um, the oh, so good, oh, so good <laughs> Sean of the dead. It's the only one that I'm going to put in there that's <laughs> yes. a comedy for. But Shaun of the Dead is such a phenomenal fucking movie. Oh, it is. It's fucking awesome. <laughs> I I think it's one of those things. Whether you like British comedy or not, like, fuck off. Simon Pegg is incredible. Uh, but it just, it's so much fun. It's such a, like, don't get me wrong. I enjoyed Zombieland. But Shaun of the Dead is what Zombieland wishes it was. Yeah, like 100%. it is. Yeah. It is the <laughs> oh shit, the world went to hell, and I'm a regular guy. What do yeah. I do? <laughs> yeah, a hundred percent. I I did love Zombieland growing up, um, but I think I have to agree with you when it comes to Shaun of the Dead. Like, there's this. I mean, again, running zombies, bro. Like, come on. <laughs> I know. I know. I'm not a fan of them, but I have to take it. Mm-hmm. Um, Number five for you, final round. So this was this was a difficult one. Um because I did do a list like this not too long ago, and I probably want to say a few weeks, but since I have done that original list, I've rediscovered like a couple since then. Mm-hmm. Um so I kind of have like a three or four-way tie between each five. It's really hard to pick. Okay. Um the original one that I went with was Bone Tomahawk. Okay. Um, and for people who don't know what Bone Tomahawk is, it's pretty much a Western horror. Um, that uh it's a very it's a realistic horror as well. Like it's a very much along the lines of cannibal holocaust. Essentially, what happens is okay, this, girl, yeah. the, this girl gets kidnapped by a tribe of Native Americans in the late 1800s. So it's the end of the cowboy era, pretty much. And this posse go out to go find her and bring her back. Um, And it's pretty much like the horrors that they endure when facing this cannibal tribe um, because they're cannibals. And there's one specific scene in it, which is just like, it's very unnerving. It gets under your skin. Um, It's very, very yucky. Um, (laughs) And so, yeah, that's, that's probably, that was my original pick. Um, The other ones that I had up there as well were green room. Um, mm-hmm. as a as a band, I have yeah. to say Green Room. <laughs> right. Right. Um, so for me, again, people who don't know Green Room, it's about like a punk band in the eighties that play this um, uh, national socialist, we'll say, <laughs> um, club. Yeah, and they get locked in the green room and like hunted by these Nazis. Um, and it's just again, like it's just super gruesome, super gory, like very very real again um you know and it's 
it, it's one of those things that it can happen to anybody kind of thing yeah um you know and also my favorite thing about that movie is like the band playing uh nazi punks by <laughs> dead kennedys to a room full of nazis it's just the funniest fucking thing to me it's like yeah. okay yeah you've this is a chain of events which which is going to happen which sets everything off that makes the most fucking sense that's awesome um so and my i guess like my last draft pick i guess from the five um besides midnight mass with but i'm not going to count because it was a series right. um my last one is probably Event Horizon. And I feel like it's why like, I'm not like intentionally picking it is because like I'm a huge horror video game nerd as well. Mm -hmm. And my favorite series is like my favorite horror series is Dead Space. So and fucking good, man. I I'm so excited for the remake <laughs> and Callisto Protocol. Um, but if you watch that film, because I watched a little documentary on Dead Space and Glenn Schofield was like, like a lot of what made its way into Dead Space is kind of like my love letter to Event Horizon. Yeah. And you go and watch Event Horizon and everything in that is like, you can tell this is where De like the atmosphere, the horror elements, like everything, even the religious side of things that come into Dead Space is all based off of Event Horizon. And it's really fucking cool <laughs> to pretty much to see Dead Space, but in a late 90s aspect. And like the sets, the design, like everything, like the atmosphere that was created is really fucking cool. Even for a 90s film, like it's still cheesy. It's still dated by today's standards, I guess you could say. Um, but it's just it's just well done. And it's just like, as I said, like the sets and everything are incredible. Um, yeah. So yeah, yeah, those are no, those I, are my draft picks. <laughs> the three-way tie, I can't pick them. Hey, I'm okay with that. I think you know, Dead Space got slept on for far fucking too long. Oh, and then yeah. the people were like, like after it had been out for a couple years, people were like, "Oh man, have you heard about this this Dead Space game?" And I'm like, "Uh huh." Uh -huh. beaten it like you know like three or four times already man it's it's pretty dope like yes i have been to the usg this. yes i have yeah. been to the usg ishimura yes <laughs> yeah it is terrifying actually no, that's is... what that's what obliteration imminent was named after was the fourth mission in dead space yeah where you have to shoot the meteors and shit that oh yeah yeah hate that yeah. level so goddamn much <laughs> but yes that's what that's what obliteration imminent was named after so Sick. i'm yeah. a huge dead space nerd <laughs> yeah. totally down for that um, I think my fifth is going to be, um, again, just a, a throwback because of, of nostalgia for me. And it, it kind of fucked me up as a child, but I'm going to go with The Shining. And yeah, Jack, Nic that's a, Jack yeah. Nicholas is, is a creepy motherfucker. Uh, and, you know, it's just one of those, again, grew up watched it with my dad stuff like that but i think it was one of the first movies similar to nightmare on elm street where it was so psychologically scary it yeah. wasn't it wasn't jump scares it wasn't the like a ton of blood or anything like that it was just like it got inside your head and made you question every fucking step that they took in that movie yeah 100% i feel kind of bad for the shining i guess it like from my perspective because i didn't really get to watch it until 
I want to say a few years ago. So probably it does not hold up over time for sure. (laughs) Well, no, it wasn't necessarily that because like I can watch like older films and kind of like appreciate them for what they were at the time and everything like that. So like, I mean, that's why I hold evil dead two in such a high regard. Um, but for me going back to the dead space thing, a lot of my backbone when it came to horror films was playing games like dead space and outlast. And so if, as I'll say, I I said this to somebody the other day, if I did not play those games, then I would not have the mental backbone to be able to endure a lot of horror films that I've watched now. Yeah. Um, So by the time I got to The Shining, my my backbone was so stiff that it was like, this is nothing to me. Like, I'm not being scared by anything in here. I do think it's really interesting. I think it's a really interesting tale that gets told. But by the end of it, I was kind of like, I didn't really find that scary or anything like that either. So right. it, like that kind of novelty, I guess you could say was lost on me. Thank you, dead space. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, but yeah, I, yeah. But it is, it is an excellent film. Like at the end of the day, it is, it is an excellent film. And I think like, it kind of like what I like the, it has the same kind of, um, or had the same effect as like what the original alien had mm-hmm. as well from talking to my mom about it. And yeah. she was like, like everybody was terrified of that film because it was so real at the time. Like the alien was just so fucking scary. And then you watch Alien now, and you're like, eh. yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, he's, you're like, eh. he's got a tiny mouth that comes out of his big mouth. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He's like, ah, he's in the walls. Give me my flamethrower. Like, yeah. <laughs> this is fine. Um, <laughs> but we did get one of the best lines in cinematic history, thanks to Alien. And that's the mm. game over, man. We're fucked. Game over, man. <laughs> game over. <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> man, I, I appreciate your time. Are you bitch? <laughs> <laughs> man, I, I, I do appreciate your time so much and uh love hearing, you know, about your kind of experience with the horror films because again, I don't know what I expected on the list necessarily. But I think you you definitely took me by surprise with Cabin in the Woods. <laughs> and then um, I guess now that we've talked, Scream doesn't surprise me as much. Mm. But I'm I'm a little surprised that it's in the top five just because of how broad the, the horror category yeah, is. Yeah, of course. Yeah, it's, it's gotten so broad nowadays as well. Like you have stuff like Hereditary. You have stuff going back to like the old classics with the, um, the 1984 series on Netflix. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, like there's there's so many different realms of it now as well um, that it does make it hard to really pick one. And that's like a, a credit to where credit's due. I think Midnight Mass probably would have made it onto that list if we were talking TV shows as well. Right. Um, just as someone who grew up in an Anglican household, watching that film gave me the, sorry, watching that series gave me the shits. Yeah. Like, have you seen it? I've seen like the trailer and like two episodes. I've not been able to dive into it yet. It, it picks up, I'd say, around episode three. The first okay. two episodes are very much like scene setting, I guess you right. could say. Um, and then you get to the final episode. It's like, oh, I fucking hate Christianity. <laughs> <laughs> but um, no, it's 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 a just a very well told uh, reflection, I guess, on like not just not just Christianity, but like religion as a whole. Yeah. Um, and how it can like how for certain people it can corrupt them, and just it's it ties in with horror and it's very, very cool. Um, yeah. It's the same dude that did, uh, fuck. What was that fucking film? 
about the intruder that came out in like 2011. I watched it. Uh, Hush? Yeah, Hush. That sounds right. Yeah. Yeah. And what's really cool actually about Midnight Mass um, is in Hush, like there's the um, the deaf writer, right? And she mm-hmm. writes like everything. Um, and it's also the same cast members as Midnight Mass. So the, the chick who plays the writer in Hush is also one of the main chicks in Midnight Mass. And like her friend in Hush is like one of the characters in Midnight Mass too. Um, so they've consistently kind of used the same cast. So Mike Flanagan yeah. as well did um, The Haunting of Hill House and the other one, which really pulled on my heartstrings. Um, <laughs> so like they've all used the same cast and crew pretty much for the entire thing. Yeah. Um, but in Hush, she actually wrote the book of Midnight Mass. Oh, okay. Yeah. And they talk about Midnight Mass in the film. And so it's really cool. And like, he has this whole thing of like, oh, I change like the ending seven or eight different times before I finish the actual story. Like before I send it off to like publishing or to get made and right. everything. And that's what he did with Hush too. Um, but I believe he also did the same thing with Midnight Mass. So one of the endings that he obviously didn't end up using in the movie version of Hush is one of the endings for Midnight Mass, which I also think is really fucking cool. Yeah. Yeah. That is dope. I love when there's there's more to the universe, right? Like, yeah, the horror genre does it the best as far as like The Conjuring and Annabelle and, you know, having all these different tie-ins together. And it's like, what else can you do that with? You can't take the Expendables, I guess, because you got all the action <laughs> stars. You know what I mean? Like, but there's not much you can do to, to tie them all together outside of like, marvel and dc or or mm-hmm. things like that but horror they're like no fuck it like we like creepy shit their creepy shit exists in our creepy shit so yeah it's all good we're we're set <laughs> yeah 100 percent. yeah awesome man again i appreciate it so much i'm super stoked for people to to check out the uh trinity album i'm gonna be dropping just a couple days after this episode goes live on the episode goes live on the 26th. The album drops on the 28th, uh, just in time for people to put it on and scare their kids as they take them fucking trick-or-treating and shit like that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> I, I hope that I hear that. I'm not going to, I'm sure, but I want some parent like just walking around listening to gloom while their kid is dressed up as like fucking a Barbie trying to get some candy better yet get the kids to dress up as the characters there you go yeah there we yeah. go <laughs> yeah, that would be dope you should run like a contest for that get like an instagram contest or something for best dressed kid in, in character <laughs> oh, yeah. no, no. <laughs> best dressed adult i'm gonna do okay <laughs> that's probably safer probably safer. that's a lot safer that's a lot safer <laughs> <laughs> oh man oh, yeah, no, I, I, again, super appreciate it. Uh, definitely looking forward to all this. And um, hopefully, you know, you'll be making it over to the uh, the States relatively soon. Hopefully, and we can, fingers uh, crossed. Yeah, we can do, do something then too. Um, obviously, I'll link all the socials and everything and, and whatever, but tell people where they can find you, best way to interact online, and then take however long for the, the last little bit of plugs that you want to do. Cool. Um, so if you want to interact with the band, definitely go to Twitter because I run it. Um, and there's a shit show. It's great. Um, 
<laughs> I call Twitter a war zone for a reason. Nobody's no. safe. Um, <laughs> it's accessible. It is accessible. It is, it is, a, it is accessible and I'm bathing in it. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, if you want to pre-order the album, bef- I mean, in the two days that you have left, um, <laughs> you can go to our link tree. It has like the links to the Aussie store, the US store. And I think there's a European store as well for stuff like CDs and vinyl. I don't think we have a merch store set up yet for Europe. Yeah. Um at least at this current point on the 20th. Um, but yeah, uh, that's pretty much it. Go to all the socials, hit us up on there. Um, go to Jay and Sherlock on the talk. I'll be doing the last couple of videos for them. Hopefully by the time that this is out, um, there might be a little nice surprise at the end of them as well. Um, just because I don't have the mental duress to continue making those TikToks. (laughs) Um, (laughs) but, um, yeah. Yeah. I think that's awesome. everything. Awesome. I like I, I've said twice now already. Really appreciate it. Super stoked for all this. Um, and we'll definitely stay in touch because I Indeed. think there's a lot of cool shit that you've got going on, man. Thank you. Thank you for having me on as well and taking the time out of your day. Yeah, absolutely. Have a I was gonna say have a good night because it's you know 9 30 here, but it's you know what half 8 30 in the morning? <laughs> half past no, half 12. Past 12. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, you're you have a whole fucking day ahead of you. <laughs> Unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Awesome, man. Uh yeah, we'll be in touch. And uh unless Jessica pops in here and needs anything from us, I think we're set. Jess, how you doing? Did I say anything I shouldn't have? All good, guys. You are perfect. Sick. You got me cracking up back here. So good. Awesome. <laughs> awesome. Very good. Thanks so much, Jess. All right. Thanks, guys. See ya. All righty. I'll see y'all later. And that was my conversation with Mikey of the band The Gloom in the Corner. Again, really hope you guys enjoyed that one. Um, Definitely want you to go check out these albums. Kind of immerse yourself in the story that they're telling. And, you know, just obviously support uh, cool art. Because not a lot of bands are doing this full concept type of setup anymore uh and these guys are pulling it off very well so go check out the album uh as always the social medias will be linked in the description of this podcast so go give them a like share subscribe follow all of that and yeah that's everything i've got for you guys on this particular episode um again tons of cool stuff coming up and just really excited for some of these conversations that I'm going to be bringing you. On the You Make the Scene side, again, as always, if you could, like, share, subscribe, follow, all of that for us as well, because that does help the algorithm. It does help us to land some of these artists that you guys love, and we just want to keep doing that. Remember... Take care of yourselves, take care of each other, and you make the scene.